Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. This podcast is about erasing shame through honest talk for healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Visit our website at erasingshame.com for links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. Now, let's have an honest talk for healthy living. Hey, welcome back to Erasing Shame through Honest Talk for Healthy Living. My name is DJ Chuang, and I'm here with my co-host, Eunice Lee. And this is episode number three titled, Not Belonging Anywhere. It's great to see you again. Eunice, how was your weekend? It was it was good. And um, it was Lunar New Year this weekend, right? And President's Day, mm-hmm. which was a funny juxtaposition that we're celebrating our Asianness and Americanness, if that's a word. So, yeah. That's How, a bonus. How, was, how was your weekend, DJ? Good. We celebrated with a, a family dinner at a contemporary Chinese restaurant next to Portos in Buena, Buena Park. Oh. If you're familiar with that. So, um, contemporary Chinese just means Americanized Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So, I didn't grow up doing any um, New Year's, Lunar New Year's things at all. And now I'm here in LA and every mall and every kind of major structure has is covered in all the decorations. So it's been interesting. I didn't know it was Lunar New Year until I was meeting up with a friend at Din Tai Fung in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Glendale in LA. And um, it was really packed with a lot of families that I guess had been waiting all year for this event <laughs> and felt like a bad Asian because I did not know until I got there. So um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I was just thinking about, though, the kind of our relationship to New, Lunar New Year can sometimes it's kind of like our relationship to our our Asian American identity or how we how intimate we feel towards our Asianness, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have a friend who every year does like a Lunar New Year celebration and she makes dumplings. And it's always weird to go because I don't I, I've never really engaged in that part of my Asianness as someone from the East coast where they didn't do a lot of public celebrations. So well, I think I did that once in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. I have this longing to celebrate Chinese new year, making dumplings, but it wasn't in my family. So it was one time with a family friend that we did that. Mm-hmm. And it was so yummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't found a friend that would do that for, for us. Yeah. <laughs> you have to find that friend. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just thinking about how, like, even in that moment, I was with my friend who is uh, not Asian American and she's like, you don't know if this is Lunar New Year. And I felt, I kind of felt this shame even in and of itself of like, oh, I should have known. I should, I should have said something. I should have like kind of put on my calendar. I don't know. Um, And then we get out to the, it was in Glendale. So we get out to the Galleria and then there's a huge red lantern, like six feet across. And I was a little embarrassed. Um, but yeah, I think that there's always elements of our lives where we feel like for me, I feel le- not Asian enough in those moments. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't um, achieve that status of of cultural integration in of myself because I didn't know what Lunar New Year is. Or basically, anytime I step into K Town and try to pretend that I'm not Korean, so they won't speak to me in Korean. <laughs> so I feel that's kind of what we're talking about today: is that not quite belonging in one place or another place, not quite belonging in the majority culture, but also not really belonging in 
the Asian culture completely. Yes, exactly. And that feeling uh, can be very isolating and lonely and just feels really bad. And there's something about our humanness that uh, comes out when we are connected with people. And even uh, I'm reminded of that movie Castaway when Tom Hanks was the character and he was on a deserted island by himself that for him to keep his humanity alive, he created another uh, human representative in a volleyball so mm -hmm. that he could have conversation and have, have life yeah. um, flow through him. Yeah, that's such a great example because we, we're always looking for those mirrors, right? The, that mirroring of ourselves. Um, I think it can be really hard as Asian Americans because we identify with our, our American culture, but then we look so much like our relatives and our friends <clears throat> overseas that sometimes mm -hmm. it can be really hard. Um, like I know for me growing up in, in Virginia, I was asked a lot of almost the opposite of my experience here in LA, which is that everyone's embracing Asian-ness and asking me about what K-dramas I watch or what K-pop I like and things like that, which by the way, in the nineties, it was not cool to be Korean, but now for mm -hmm. some reason, it's really cool to be Korean. So I feel like I missed the boat there. Um, but I got a lot of questions. Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, I got a lot of questions, though, of like, where are you really from? I don't know if you've ever gotten that. Like, where are you really from? Or I got this a lot was, are you from North or South Korea? Um, mm. Or what does your name mean in Korean? My name is Eunice. It's not a Korean name. Um, it's just Korean people really like it. Um, but I, I, I remember that really distinctly growing up, almost having to prove that I was born in the hospital down the street that I, you know, 100% like live and breathe American and almost this tension there too. Like I don't quite belong, even though this is where I feel like I fit. Yes, yeah, it's, it's such a common story I hear when I am uh, around Asian Americans and I've experienced it myself that uh, uh, because we are raised in an Asian culture family but we grew up in America, going to American schools, going to American college, going to American supermarkets and uh, American workplaces mm -hmm. where it's not Asian, that uh, it feels like we have to navigate two very different sets of cultures and behaviors and values. Mm -hmm. And it it's confusing sometimes. It's feeling like you can never let your guard down because you have to figure out, okay, I, I'm in this context, I got to behave this way and you have to be conscious about it. And that gets mm. tiring. And um, it, it would be nice if you could just be somewhere and just be yourself instead of having to be something that mm. you aren't really. Yeah, I, I think it's um, kind of like what you're saying, kind of having your guard up. It's it's actually a value in Asian culture to be able to read the room and anticipate people's mm. emotions. And that's on top of that, that's a, that's what I think a lot of people have to do when they have to navigate from their from two cultures is have to read the room and see what they can say and what's acceptable culturally and what's not, um, because there's there's a there's like a, a dual value set and it's really hard to know what to pick and choose from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I came to the states when I was eight years old in second grade, and uh, all I knew was speaking Mandarin at the time. Mm. So I was always very conscious of my Asian-ness since, uh, since being eight. And I remember going to 
um, visit the elementary school that is in our, in our neighborhood. And I was starting to learn English there through a ESL program, English as a second language. And one of the first phrases I learned was, how do you do? Mm-hmm. And that was easy for me to say because um, do is a similar, there's a homonym in Mandarin Chinese that sounds mm-hmm. like that. So there are certain phrases that I could pick up pretty easily and the other ones were just really tough. But mm-hmm. because I was part of ESL, I, I got teased by other people that were just part of the school. Mm-hmm. And I, I was always reminded of my differentness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I grew up um, in the U.S. and kind of was always surrounded. I did Girl Scouts. I did um, ballet. I did soccer. I kind of had that very typical American upbringing. We just looked different. And so I never really noticed it until um, about kindergarten or or first grade when people would ask me questions about my culture. Um, And it wasn't until college. I remember sitting in a room full of Asian people and thinking, I'm the only white person here. And then realizing Mm -hmm. that I'm actually not. Um, So my my kind of awareness of Asian-ness came much later. I was about 20. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so I think even as we talk about this, I don't think this feeling of being other and our stories are just specific to like the shame of being other. I don't think it's specific to just Asian American experiences because there's always going to be something that causes us to feel other. I think of Mm -hmm. uh, a friend who's a six foot woman Mm. and she does not play basketball, but that's the first question everyone asks her is, do you play basketball? And I can imagine that it's a lot of like education, <laughs> like not all tall people play basketball, but it's yeah. just these, we have these frameworks in our minds. Um, and so I think in the same, like in the kind of in the same vein, us as Asian Americans talking about this, there's kind of this um, experience of always having to educate people on what Asian mm. American is. And that question of where are you really from? Where were you mm. born? Where are your parents born? And if it's, you know, the US for generations, it gets very tiring to have to share that over and over again. It can sometimes be a source of shame, I can imagine, um, for a lot of young people who don't feel like they can really belong one place or the other. Yeah, and and that can cause people to uh, disconnect and hide, or they can swing to one extreme or the other. So I know some people that, and it tends to be in that college young adult years when somebody really wrestles with their culture identity and they will identify with and some will go all the way into their Asian culture and and avoid non-Asian contexts so Mm -hmm. that comfortable. Others will blend right into non-Asian contexts and uh, reject and move away from anything Asian and then everything. And that's something that each of us have to kind of, have a discussion about with ourselves and with, with a few friends and just sense of where we belong in that and be okay with that. Yeah. I think that there's definitely um, a discussion. I think that that's the part I like about what you just said too, is that there, there has to be a discussion piece too, because I know that if we just say it's too confusing to be different. So I'm just trying to be the same, whether or not it's completely enveloping in our, our culture of origin or in majority culture, we're not getting that, the richness of that, that discussion and that processing with ourselves. And that's really what um, brings us growth and, and allows us to earth, unearth our humanness. 
Well, here's here's where it's painful uh, for not being completely Asian for myself, mm-hmm. and I've heard from others, is that sometimes I will be interacting with a first generation Chinese person, mm-hmm. and they find out that I grew up in America and my Mandarin is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And they'll shame me and say, oh, you should learn Chinese. You should be a good Chinese person and learn Chinese. And I don't know. I don't know what it is in our culture that would do that. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be the part that's the shame-based culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely like a culture of authority um, mm-hmm. in Asian culture that allows for like older people um, to do that. I w- we were selling our dining room table yesterday and the woman mm. was Asian and she was just looking at the house and she said, how many bedrooms? <laughs> Not something that you ask someone when you're just buying their dining room table. But in, in, in her context, it was, it was fine and we're Asian and so mm. whatever. Um, so it's so funny that <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that was really shocking. <laughs> oh, okay. It's three. And we just answered. We didn't even know. Let's move. About Let's move to our circle. And what are some other kinds of uh, contexts where people feel like they don't belong and uh, have that yearning to belong? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this in the like this idea. Watching a lot of those Super Bowl commercials and stuff, this idea of home is always a big deal. I think mm. it's a universal human experience to feel like you want to belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, we've all had that experience in high school in the cafeteria with our trays, looking at the different groups of people, trying to figure out where to sit, if we're going to sit mm-hmm. with the, the nerdy kids or the cool kids or the band kids or whatever. And um, kind of, fe- I, I kind of feel like the Asian American experience is sometimes, unless you have a large population of Asian Americans in your school, is just kind of sitting by yourself or trying to fit in with another crowd that doesn't really match you. Um mm-hmm. So I think it's a universal experience, and I, I've been watching a lot of This Is Us, um, which oh. is which is a kind of uh, big show on NBC right now. Yeah, what's and, the show about? Um, it's about oh, I don't know much to share because it would give away the first episode. It's about a family <laughs> and some okay. of their some of their um, kind of their struggles and their trials, and so there's um, there's there's one character that's overweight and mm. was based on the uh, the creator's sister. And mm. so the writers were asking her is, can we have a storyline for Kate? Who's the character's name where mm-hmm. it's not about the weight. And she basically mm. said, it's always going to be about the weight. It's always mm. about the weight. Cause that's the, unfortunately, even as the character progresses, that's her struggle because that's how people perceive her um, is what I took away from that. And I think it's, it can, wow. it, it's that with being any sort of minority, whether it's, you know, um, having a different type of, of religion or sexual orientation than what's the norm or, or you know, uh, binary gender or um, cultural or, or like, you know, difference. Like, um, I know people that are immigrants from Europe that are always asked for people to teach them how to do their accent. And so there's mm. a curiosity there, but there's, they're also hearing you don't, you're not one of us. And that's such a yearning that people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a tendency for any group of people that are similar to to look at someone else that might look different and and call that out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for a person that tends to be on the heavier weight side, that might be the most obvious attribute. Mm -hmm. 
that comes to mind. And so they'll call that out. Hey, we got some comments from a viewer. So I'm going to read that on air. The, the duality also exists for Italian Americans, German Americans as well. So mm -hmm. it's not just an Asian American thing, as yeah. we talked about Asian Americanness. Mm -hmm. And then um, Zeke also says, I think some of the feelings of not belonging or otherness can be a reflection of societies and individuals bias or lack of experience mm -hmm. and lack of exposure to people of different backgrounds. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, I think I agree. I think that mm -hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of the comments that, um, that I think anyone says it's really out of some sort of ignorance and sometimes they're really well-intentioned too. Um, but it's, um, yeah, like I, I just, some of the, the most kind of shocking questions I've gotten from people that just are curious to know. Um, and so unfortunately that is true. Um, but it, what it does for the person receiving it is yeah. having, having to manage all that emotionally is that it can make them feel vulnerable and exposed and other and feel ashamed to be themselves. And we talked um, in our, we talk about the definition of shame as being, um, one where um, you are not, you didn't make a mistake, you are the mistake, mm -hmm. or you're not, you didn't do something bad, you are bad. And so mm -hmm. to get repeatedly, you know, whether it's your culture or whether it's something else about you, you know, if you're Italian American, German American, Asian American, that you're constantly being asked to explain yourself, after mm -hmm. a while, it feels very shaming, even unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering now that we've, we're exploring this topic topic again and it's coming up again as we have 12 Asian Americans that are part of the American um, Olympics team. Mm -hmm. The racial thing is very much alive in our uh, culture today uh, in, in other ways as well with racial tensions. Um, what's, what's a better way for people to ask that question instead of where are you from? Mm. Yeah, and so I haven't found the answer yet, but I'm thinking off the top of my head, you know, maybe they can ask, uh, what's your ethnic background? Mm -hmm. Or maybe where are your parents from? I don't know. <laughs> I think as long as it's not the first question, I would feel more comfortable ah, with it. I think that's the, the order of the questions is important. I haven't found a perfect answer either, but I definitely feel like if that's the first thing, that's probably, it might not be. The best thing to that's a good to thought say. yeah so like we did a poll on yeah. our facebook and i'm wondering if we, you want to talk about um that those oh, yeah. responses yeah so as we're getting this podcast rolling we want to uh, create some more opportunities for our listeners and our viewers to interact and um, respond with us so that we can have this conversation go beyond just the podcast episode. So we're starting a poll of the week with a question. And we asked the question this week, uh, what do you do when you feel like you don't belong? And here's some of the responses we got. Uh, withdrawal, uh, get anxious and circle racing thoughts internally. And someone else said eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I had one to um, add to that, which no one put, but I've heard a lot is kind of perfectionism or performance, um, hmm. which I, I noticed no one put because I'm imagining that would be a very vulnerable thing to put on a Facebook. 
how, how would perfectionism be a response to not belonging? To try to try harder to fit in, almost like oh. there's hope. Yeah. So, what do you think about the? Uh, I think it's interesting because there's two of them that are 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 action oriented, and then one that's more of like an internal experience. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine they would go hand in hand. Yes. Things. Yeah. Uh, some people work on the emotional level first, and then some people work on the uh, physical level first, and then the um, feelings get articulated later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it sounds like there's, like in that question, when, what do you do when you feel like you don't belong? There is a message, right, that the, that, um, the person is receiving for not belonging and it's like that they're less than or they're not good enough for the, their current situation and i can i think that's so damaging it's one of the lies that we often tell ourselves for being um who we are is that we're not good enough yeah that's the damaging part um there's also the dynamic when you're in certain groups you, you feel like and you know you don't belong. So for example, I go to a lot of conferences. So I've go, gone to conferences where I feel like I belong and I know the culture, I know, know the language because it's in the nonprofit world. But then uh, I've started also going to some for-profit conferences where it's a very sales-driven and people are very goal-oriented and everything's about closing the deal and I obviously feel like I don't belong and I don't know the lingo. Mm -hmm. So uh, in those cases, it's um, beyond just feeling bad about being me. It's also uh, feeling like, well, w what can I do? Because I don't know how to carry a conversation. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is it's almost like in those for-profit conferences where it's like your values don't match the values of the environment or you you don't match. Mm -hmm. right? And that can cause a lot of anxiety inside of us to not match. I think that's like a really terrible, like it's just not, a, it doesn't feel good to not match our environment. Or yeah, match the people's expectations and what they do mm -hmm. yeah, or, or how they look. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I think, yeah, even for my, as, as you're talking about it for myself, there've been, times where um, I've been in situations where I, ha I feel like I have to match um, the people around me or else I won't be noticed or I won't. Um, and I've heard this from other Asian Americans too, that they feel like they have to speak up first in classrooms and in other contexts mm -hmm. um, so that they'll be noticed and also so that people will know they speak English, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and those feelings of performing or withdrawing are, are pretty strong. Mm. So then how do we do this in, um, so we talk about erasing shame, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking now about some of the not great ways that we experience shame and it cycles through us and it causes us to overeat and to withdraw and to get anxiety. So what are your, what, how can we um, experience shame in a positive way, I guess, or, or what do we do with these feelings? Cause they're here. And they're just part of the human experience. Yeah, so uh, perhaps the first thing is to realize it's it's normal in the human experience that there are times when we feel like we don't belong. 
And I guess we, we can go ahead and say, well, there's situations where you actually don't belong. Mm -hmm. But um, our response to that uh, can be either to withdraw or eat ice cream, mm -hmm. or we could do something else. Yeah. And uh, it's to say, hey, uh, or say to yourself, it's okay, I'm different, but maybe move towards curiosity to learn about the group. Mm -hmm. to share a little bit about your life that you might find that you think might be valuable to the group to share. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have some other thoughts too? Yeah, I think that there is, um, I really like that kind of the curiosity of, of, of what's going on in the group and trying to understand it. Um, I think the ultimate thing is, is providing yourself or empowering yourself to be different and kind of what you're mm -hmm. saying, that curiosity of stepping outside yourself is, is self-empowering because we have the we have the tools to figure out our own story and our own narrative. And when we're we sit in shame, we're actually giving that power up to the people around us and allowing them to define us. When really, if we're able to engage with people and have real, real and genuine relationship, we're taking that power back and um, in ourselves. If that makes sense. Now, say say a little bit more about that. How does that work? Yeah, well, I think, um, I think of an example. So there's this book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball, which sounds like uh, it's, it's about systems, right? And basically, this guy has figured out a way to navigate through his workplace and figure out a way to stay true to himself while still being successful. So not a lot of schmoozing or networking, but really just being who he is. And so going to meetings that he, he wants to go to and negotiating uh, so that he can be the most creative person that he wants to be. And mm -hmm. I think that's um, kind of similar to managing shame is that first acknowledging that we have shame and then figuring out what to do with it, how we want to walk through the world with it. I think the first thing that comes to mind is admitting to ourselves and going deep in the feeling of shame. Why do mm. we feel shame? What is going mm -hmm. on with us? And yes, mm. at first it seems like we're almost like wallowing in or exposing ourselves mm. to more shame. But I do believe that this is shame is like something inside of us that wants to break. And so when we're mm. able to engage with it, it can mm -hmm. finally be brought into the light, which is what we talked mm. about so much of, of mm -hmm. getting away from that shame. Um, and so the point of the book was essentially about agency, about um, which is a fancy term of basically you're in you're in control of yourself no uh, one else is your boss hmm. you are your own emotional boss if that makes sense mm -hmm. um and that takes that takes some process and that takes some that's um of being able to be comfortable with ourselves but i think the first thing is to bring shame to light and allow ourselves to feel that but um trying to learn how to manage uh feelings can be really hard yeah uh, especially when you, maybe for some some of us that some some listeners that didn't grow up in a fam family context where feeling were expressed yeah. or talked about or yeah. uh, if if you're a guy then uh, feelings are supposed to be suppressed and not expressed mm -hmm. and so we don't even know the words much less to know how to process the feelings i i I know, um, I think you will mention there's a little chart with faces about feelings. Mm -hmm. Explain how that 
might be a helpful tool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we feel it inside, but sometimes when we're not allowed to express it, um, it really keeps us from knowing how to name them. We know, the, we know how it feels in our gut or in our, you know, in our body, but we don't know how to actually name them. And um, I think you're right. A lot of families. And then also as a man, I can imagine that there's a lot of um, push against it. So I think it's a process to figure out how to, um, how to work out feelings. But I think this chart is such a good starting point because it's, it's helping us say, oh, I feel sad right now. And it's okay to feel sad. I think if we can learn how to be friends with our feelings, even if it's negative ones, mm -hmm. it will afford us a lot more um, like scope to, to feel both the positive and the negative feelings, which is kind of what we talked about in another episode about unearthing our humanness. When we can learn how to express our negative feelings, we can also learn how to uh, embrace our positive ones. And then hmm. we can go in a fuller, uh, a more authentic human experience. Well, that sounds like a really valuable thing to, to learn. And certainly like a little more coaching to, to learn about how to manage my feelings, how to uh, put words to them and not feel overwhelmed by them. Because sometimes I do feel like uh, the feelings control me instead of me controlling the feelings. Yeah. And I think that's where community comes in and relationship um, mm. and engaging and having these conversations with people. Because when we feel shame, we can feel oftentimes alone. And then added to that is feeling like we're the only person that experiences these negative feelings. And so processing that with other people and engaging with people in relationship, I think, makes for um, a landscape where we can do that um, and do it not perfectly. And it'll be messy and awkward, but eventually it'll bring us um, some, some relief and some healing. Well, let me close this with this quote that I found in an article, and I'll add a link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And the author says that shame disappears in community. Mm -hmm. Iterate what you were just describing. And that the most powerful way to combat shame is to be truly known and to know others truly. As we share our shame stories or the way that shame has threatened to silence us, these stories are met with compassion, empathy, acceptance, and then shame fades away. It loses the fear of isolation and fear. Mm -hmm. It is our hope that our listeners and viewers would find that community in just a few people. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, just two or three, I think can make a huge difference uh, in your neighborhood, but um, continue being part of our conversation here on this podcast, because we want to show you um, what it looks like along the way. And, reach out to us on Facebook, uh, on iTunes. You can subscribe. And uh, our website is at erasingshame.com. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening. Eunice, great seeing you again. Yeah, you too, DJ. Everybody so next much. week. All right, bye-bye.